Hello, magic makers, and welcome back to the Metaphysical Apothecary. We are your hosts, Shannon and Megan. Hi, everyone. Also known as the Scorpio Sisters, here to explore the mysterious, the magical, and the arcane. Welcome to episode three of our Superstition series. In the second episode, we touched a little bit on ways to implement superstition in your practice to help counteract paranoia, to help break through scarcity mindset. So we're really going to examine that in this episode in depth. Within this episode, it's very much a personal journey with yourself that you need to go on if you're reevaluating what your superstitions are and whether or not they are resonating as useful and or incorporative in your magic and your spiritual path for yourself. What's interesting is that a lot of superstition has a placebo and nocebo effect based off of personal belief. So if you believe something to be lucky, it's going to be lucky because you have now assigned that task to being lucky. That's kind of the placebo. You can take a sugar pill if you believe that sugar pill is helping you medically researched. Evidence has shown it will actually help deal with whatever element you're taking it for. There is also a nocebo effect, which is the complete opposite. When you believe something is detrimental to you or unlucky or brings misfortune, you are then having a nocebo effect because you can actually cause this to happen. You can cause that sugar pill to become the worst thing you've ever done because you believe it to be the worst thing you've ever done. Uh huh. A perfect example of observation universe at play. <laughs> and being creators within the creation, you can choose to see things as positive or you can choose to see things as negative. And whichever way you perceive them is the way that it will unfold in front of you. Uh-huh. That this is actually something that pharmaceutical research and medical science has to take into consideration when they're testing new procedures and new drugs and new ways of treating different ailments and illnesses. They have to do a double blind test because of the placebo nocebo effect. And it has to be double blind because not only do you need the patients or the people who volunteered to test the new treatment, the people administrating that new treatment also have to be blind to whether or not group A is getting the actual medication or is group getting the actual medication because their body language will give it away yeah exactly the body language of the nurses the doctors the personnel who are there as the researchers implementing the double blind test will give away through subtle body languages whether or not the medicine they're handing out to this group is the placebo or the medication and then they group will then pick up on it they don't even have to realize that it's through body language it's human instinct to know what someone else is projecting just for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The pharmaceutical research and medical science is doing tests and experiments with that placebo-nocebo effect in mind and having to work around it. You can tell just how powerful the human mind and perception really is. You can. Our brains, our perception of things sends out vibration into the universe. We can see this through the placebo and nocebo effect, right? That sends a vibration through our subtle bodies out into the world. 
it can rebound back on us and have an effect. And it can also create our experience outside of ourselves. How we view superstition, how we relate to it has a very profound effect on how we exist in the world because of this. Certain superstitions are very deeply ingrained in pockets of the collective consciousness, while others are more universal. So some of them are cultural and more bound in spirituality, whereas others are more societal and bound in just practical tenets of everyday living. But allowing ourselves to be ruled by superstition is a really good way to invite misfortune and poor experiences into our lives. If you think about the placebo-nocebo effect, you're able to judge by someone's body language which kind of medication you're getting. So if you believe in something enough, it's going to either harm you. If you believe in a superstition and you accidentally don't obey the rules of that superstition, you're probably going to experience some misfortune for a little while. Yeah, you've created a scenario where you've allowed a negative mental loop to happen that is now looping outside of the mental landscape and into your physical, everyday, mundane life. Exactly. To avoid getting entangled and ensnared in all of this complex folklore, it can be very useful to create a personal lexicon of superstitions to help disentangle you from these things, to help pull you out of that web. Especially if you are the sort of person who carries a lucky rabbit's foot and feels like they have to find a four-leaf clover whenever something bad happens, or it's one of those things you do to comfort yourself, and there's just nothing wrong with that. I've known people who do this and adhere very strongly to superstition, but you have to make sure you're using it and it's not using you. (laughs) A few ways that a personal lexicon of superstition might benefit you are in terms of promoting shadow work to counteract anxiety and paranoia. And you can also lean into the ominous energy of the superstition and use it to your advantage. In the last episode, we talked about mirrors and ladders being used as liminal spaces and broken mirrors as portals and doorways. One of the things we didn't talk about that you could use a broken mirror for is you can use a broken mirror to lock away or banish things that no longer serve you. Mm-hmm. If you can use a ladder, taking down a ladder as taking down a structure that no longer works for you as well. Exactly. With the mirror, there are a couple of different ways you can banish the thing. You can put a symbol using your finger or water or oil or whatever you want to use, representing the thing on the mirror and smash the mirror on purpose. Or you can smash the mirror on purpose, then rebuild it over top of a symbol representing the thing you want to get rid of. Mm -hmm. An interesting way of doing the symbols is if you got a sigil that you drew on top of the mirror, but it's the same sigil or the same shape or the same forwards and backwards. So that way, whatever's on the other side of the mirror is reading it the same way that you're reading it. Mm -hmm. I know that there's certain words or things that are read the same way forwards and backwards. Palindromes. Palindromes? Okay. Words, numbers, phrases, or sequences of characters which read the same ways forwards and backwards. And you can make a palindrome sigil or symbol that is read the same way 
on our end or your end of the mirror and on the other end of the mirror where you're holding or banishing or closing a portal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You can even make it a permanent part of a structure. If there is an area of your property or your home, or there's even a box that you would like to seal up energetically, you can take that mirror and you can use it and reconstruct it, or even take several mirrors and reconstruct them as a mosaic with particular patterns woven into that mirror that are meant to lock something away. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard to take down. <laughs> Unlike some of these things that you see where people are busting through walls in their homes and finding whole rooms that have been sealed away and going, hey, we're going to renovate this. And it's, it's like, no, you're not going to renovate that. That is sealed up for a reason. <laughs> Probably not the best idea, but, you know, live and learn. Which brings up an interesting point, though, because we can also use superstition and cautionary tales like that as a form of protection magic. Mm-hmm. Again, you don't want to get mired in the negativity. However, you can use superstitions as protection. So if you do find something creepy in your home and you're superstitious about creepy things you might find in your home because where you grew up or personal belief systems, you can use that caution to protect yourself, both from whatever energy might be coming out of that thing and also whatever practically might be coming out of that thing. Say, for instance, I move into a new home. I find an old steamer trunk in the basement that was left there. Am I going to open it? You betcha I am. Oh, yeah. Am I going to be stupid about it? No. (laughs) The first thing I'm going to do is bring that out into a bright, sunny space. I'm not going to examine it where it sits. But I'm also going to put on coveralls, I'm going to put on a respiratory mask, and I'm going to put on protection for my eyes because I don't know what kind of mold or fungus or anything else might be in this thing. The third thing I'm going to do is either myself cleanse the ever-living crap out of this thing with incense, with water, with whatever, or I'm going to get somebody else who's more powerful and really knows what they're doing with this particular possibly haunted item to do it for me. Then I will open it and then I will examine it and then I will decide what to do with it. So that's an example of how superstition can protect you. You can also create for yourself personal superstitions like we were talking about that are part of your protection magic. Say you leave your home and one of the things that you do is you pat your keys in your pocket three times and that sound protects your home energetically, that protects you energetically, that also serves a practical purpose of making sure you have your keys. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or jingling your keys before you put them away. Right, because that's a form of sound clearing for the space. Mm-hmm. They act as chimes and bells, which will clear the negative energy away from your place of residence or your car, potentially invite bay energy in who could protect that same object or item or place, and yet also remind you that, yes, you do have your keys and you're putting them in your bag or your pocket. Because <laughs> it's important to know that you have your keys. Yes. <laughs> My keychain has a lot of jingles on it for a reason. 
<laughs> exactly. So another way you can use a personal lexicon of superstition is to counteract the paranoia and the fear that kind of comes with the superstition. Say you do something that would normally be considered bad luck. And to alleviate that fear or that paranoia, you come up with your own personal little charm or something to cast it away from you. You walk under a ladder. It's really tall. You didn't necessarily notice it was there. There was construction going on and everyone was on break. And you go, oh, no, that's not good. Nothing bad happened to you. You probably should avoid walking under ladders in the future for safety reasons. But now you feel strange. So to get rid of that negative energy that you may have pulled through that portal with you, you can come up with a way to cast it off. You can press your hands to your chest and push it back toward the ladder three times or however many times you feel. You can scuff your shoes against the ground and kick the energy back like a dog after it does its business. <laughs> they always dig up the grass afterwards. Put it behind you, literally. And also, you can come up with superstitions around your anxiety and your personal fears that help alleviate those fears. Mm -hmm. you move through them so that way you could, at the very least, see where your fear started and where rationale, practical application could be applied. Exactly. Because as a person living with anxiety disorder, I can tell you that sometimes it's like living in one long stream of superstition. Is this my intuition or am I just being paranoid? <laughs> I did a few members of my family go through a very regimented routine when leaving the house. They used to have to check the oven and all the plugs in the kitchen and the bathroom six times each to make sure that everything was off before they could leave their apartment. And then they would have to jiggle the door and make sure the door was locked six times. Then if they were halfway to work or wherever they were going and the question popped into mind, did I shut off the oven? Well, they couldn't go much further. They would have to turn around, go make sure that they turned off the oven because of a fear-based paranoia of having it let on. They've since applied a story superstition to what they're doing. So that way they've actually cut down on that six number to like half if they're doing it in this particular order and they're thinking to themselves, I'm just double checking to make sure uh -huh. there is a superstition story that they are able to apply to reduce the stress and paranoia of why they were going through that routine in the first place. Right. And Shannon hit the nail on the head there with calling it a story because that's how we live our lives. We tell ourselves stories about everything. And that's what superstitions are. They're stories. They're very short ones. They're stories. You can tell yourself a story like my beverage in the morning is a lucky beverage from now on. <laughs> the first thing I drink every morning is a lucky beverage. And the things that people usually drink first thing in the morning, water, coffee, tea, or juice, all have magical correspondences associated of health, wealth, activation, activation, exactly, abundance. Orange juice and pineapple juice and apple juice with the coloration would have good morning sunny dispositions, which could help the serotonin hormone be produced better in your third eye, pineal gland. And that's something else you could use too, like your color magic associated with chakras or associated with the color itself. And what it does, whatever your first beverage is in the morning, that's now a lucky beverage. If you drink a green smoothie, 
great because there's all of the associations in that smoothie and the ingredients of that smoothie, plus there's the color, plus it's nourishing your body. Now you've created a habit for yourself that allows you to do something healthy. Mm -hmm. Avoiding falling into the stagnation of it has to be this beverage. It has to be beverage X and realizing that it is the first beverage I have. I am literally breaking my fast with this beverage and it will bring me good luck because it is good luck beverage no matter what it is. It's essential to keeping yourself from falling into that stagnant storyline of it has to be the green smoothie. Yes. If I don't have the green smoothie, then X, Y, Z will happen. Uh That is falling back into the fear-based trap of most superstitious lexicons. Yeah, it's very limiting. It can become very scarcity mindset because the moment you don't have beverage X and or your day goes all wrong or there's one thing out of place that throws you out of whack for the rest of the day, it's going to become, oh no, I didn't have my beverage X. I had beverage Y. Mm-hmm. And if you do that enough times, then beverage Y becomes, oh, that's my unlucky beverage. Uh-huh. <laughs> but was it really? Wasn't really unlucky or did it become that way through habit? Yeah, through habit and the habit being I can only have beverage X, like eventually getting to the story of I can only have beverage X in the morning for a good day instead of breaking my fast with any beverage is good luck because it is nourishing my body after having fasted for six plus hours. Right. Honestly, you should be breaking your fast with some kind of fluid in the morning. It's just good for you. We can't allow ourselves to be trapped by these things. For instance, my wife and I have a tradition of kissing the fingers and touching the inside of the roof of the car whenever we go under a yellow light. The light has just turned yellow. There's still plenty of time for you to go. Perfectly legal. That's kind of a liminal space. So you kiss your hand and tap the top of your car to attract good luck and good fortune out of that liminal space. The trap that you don't want to fall into is, oh, I didn't do it. That means I'm going to have bad luck. It doesn't have to be either or. It can be. It doesn't have to be yes or no. It can be yes or neutral. And it could also be that you recognize that you didn't do it that time because there was nothing in that little space to be used. Right. And it was an instinct not to. You didn't even think about doing it because there was nothing there. Exactly. So giving yourself a little bit more credit for when you don't do the superstition or you don't do the routine because it was unnecessary in that moment rather than falling back into, oh, no, I didn't do it. Now something bad is going to happen. Right. It's just not the case. (laughs) It's just not the case. I know of a few incidences where not doing the superstition that was supposed to bring a person good luck ended up saving their life. You tell. 9-11, one of the people that I know their relative did this one thing every time they left the house. It ended up making their commute faster because they would get on just the right bus that would streamline their commute to work, which was at the World Trade Center area. Part of that routine, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it had something to do with the door. Okay. And somehow like her tapping the door or something, she didn't do it missed the bus that streamlined her into the office, missed several buses after that because most buses will not stop if it's too crowded, mm-hmm. and didn't get to work on time, which means she didn't get into the building before the event happened. Wow. 
Yeah. So sometimes not doing the thing that's supposed to bring you good luck to get you to where you're going faster or what you're doing or whatever actually is a reason for you not to do it. There's something there instinctively, whether it's your own higher consciousness letting you know, hey, you don't want to do that right now. Uh This is just not the time. Or if it turns out to be like I said, with tapping your fingers on the roof, it's not necessarily bad luck. It's there might not be anything there in the liminal space to be drawn to you at this point in time. It just might be in liminal space that is a liminal space. <laughs> yeah. Being open-minded about your superstitions and your lexicon of them and not falling into that story of stagnation and limitation and realizing that sometimes you're not doing it and you're not doing it for a reason. Your body has instincts. Your higher consciousness has intuition and the two coming together and you not doing that thing might be exactly what you need. It absolutely may be. We all have that subtle body, for lack of a better term, that aura of bioenergy around us that holds our consciousness. So the way that I view it, because they can't find where the consciousness is stored in our bodies or our brains, which means that it's probably not. And there's a very popular school of thought that talks about consciousness being projected in from source energy. Whatever you believe that source energy could be, it's projected in as a fragment of source energy so that we can experience three-dimensional life. The way that I view it is our consciousness knows everything. It can see the big picture. It's outside in this forest and it sees the whole forest it can see the trees and the animals and the lakes and the rivers and how it all blends together. But by the time it gets to us, there is a frosted glass window between us and that forest. Before being asked about details about it, we might get some right, but we can't see all of the fine details, whereas our consciousness is on the other side of that window. If we ask consciousness, if we say to consciousness, what is going on here? Consciousness is going to be able to see and know. We just have to listen. To support that thought process, there's been a few studies, including at HeartMath, that have shown that the heart actually knows, has precognition, actually knows when something's coming before it's there, before your mind can process that it's there. Your heart already knows and is already reacting as if it's seen or experienced what is about to come. Uh So if your heart knows and your body knows and your brain is the only thing that's waiting to catch up, it's probably due to the stories you're telling yourself and not the information that consciousness is giving you. Right. Shannon gave an example of how not following a superstition saved someone's life. It was a real life example. I have a popular culture example of how adhering super strictly to a superstition actually really harmed someone. Practical magic. Sally has gone to rescue her sister, Jilly, from an abusive relationship. She's going to put her in the car. She's going to take her home to Massachusetts where she will be safe. Jilly looks up on her way to the car and sees that the moon is red. It's blood on the moon. And she starts panicking because she can't find her tiger's eye in her bag. Tiger's eye is supposed to protect you from the bad energy of blood on the moon. Mm-hmm. She goes back to the abusive boyfriend's car to get her tiger's eye. In that action of reaching for the necklace, he is able to kidnap both her and her sister, which results in them actively murdering him. So believing so strongly in this superstition actually made it come true. <laughs> yeah. 
if she had said to herself, okay, there's blood on the moon. I don't have my tiger's eye. My sister and I better get out of here rather than tying it down to the superstition. Yeah, rather than fixating on the superstition and the tool that was supposed to mitigate it, realizing that I don't have the tool, I don't have the resources to combat whatever's coming. That means I need to get out of Dodge, not go looking for the tool. Right. It's kind of like something's on fire, or shed is on fire, and the extinguisher is inside the burning shed. And you're going back into the burning shed to get the extinguisher instead of going over to the hose or just like hauling the fire department. Right. Seeing that one tool, that one superstition, that one method, that one piece of the puzzle as the only solution, the only tool, the only way to deal with whatever superstition or energy or entity that you're trying to work with or avoid working with or avoid any kind of association or interaction with is very limiting and can cause problems. Mm -hmm. One of the important things to build into your superstition lexicon is multiple solutions to problems. So if your shed is on fire, in addition to the solutions that Shannon posed, you can also look around the shed. Is this going to spread and how can I stop it? Do I need to move other flammable things away from the fire so that it stays contained? Do I have a bag of sand? Is there loose dirt somewhere that I can start throwing around to create a border or even smother some of the fire until help arrives? Mm -hmm. What are the other solutions that I could apply to this? For instance, walking under the ladder. One solution that we posed earlier was to shed any bad fortune and fling it kind of back into that doorway. If you've already walked through the doorway and the energy that is in that doorway is available to you, another thing that you could do is choose what you bring with you. You can stand there for a moment and examine what kind of energy is in that liminal space and say, I don't want that. I want this. Do whatever motion or chant or thing that you can think of in the moment to bring that with you instead. And that would have been perfect for Jillian to do as well. If Jilly had also had multiple ways of dealing with bad mojo energy instead of just that one tool, we would have a very different practical magic. <laughs> we wouldn't have a movie. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. They wouldn't have needed to accidentally murder someone to get away from him. I could see how the story could have developed in a very different way where he would have stalked them. That's true. It would have been a very different practical magic. That remains one of my favorite films. It would be really interesting. Every superstition you stumble across, you write it down. You write down the spiritual and or natural consequences of not doing it, rewards of doing it, the origins of it. And then every time you do it or not do it, what happens? Oh, that could be interesting. Right? It would be a really interesting shadow working piece especially since you would start with the ones you know and then eventually broaden your scope to ones that you've learned because you moved to the Ozarks or something. Mm -hmm. If you create a lexicon as an actual book of shadows, book of power, a lexicon of superstition and worked with the superstitions to better understand your own shadow self, your inner child, and even heal your lineage. Right, because that's a great way to heal your lineage. We've explored this a little bit. Certain superstitions could be very damaging. Yeah. One of those superstitions that was very damaging for women and men accused of witchcraft was whether or not they had a pet that was a black cat. 
Mm-hmm. Black cats are not necessarily bad luck. Crossing near pack is not necessarily bad luck all over the world. It is in the United States, but I know that it's not in others. A woman or man who is already ostracized from society having a black cat then accused of witchcraft and could have all their possessions taken from them, end up in jail, be interrogated slash tortured, and end up dead in not mm-hmm. a pleasant way possible. Right. That is a superstition that came about that is detrimental to the people around them. If you worked with black cat superstition energy to help heal any of the lineage that you may or may not have an association to that, it could resonate backwards and forwards as well with you. Right. Another way that you can use superstition energy and subvert it for generational healing is to dismantle superstitions that may be held in your family line about people of different races or religions or sexualities or genders. Race is a really example of this. There is all kinds of terrible, ridiculous superstition around people of color and the sorts of people they are, the kinds of diseases they may carry. And of course, none of this is true. But it was all things that were made up to justify segregation and to justify bigotry. So if you can break that down and look at it critically and say, this doesn't make any sense and this is why, that could be part of your ancestor work. And if you are white, you should be doing ancestor work. This is how we heal the world. We could say the same thing about sexuality. My family is not okay. with homosexuality at all so it's been quite the journey for me and my wife but there were a lot of really disgusting myths that i was taught and superstition that i was taught about gay people when i was growing up realizing that i was a gay person and none of those things were true about me i was like well that cycle is broken (laughs) that piece of my journey at least was easy None of the rest of this is going to be, but that was. Mm -hmm. So one of the really cool things that you can do with superstition is lean into that ominous energy. Ominous energy is liminal. The space between the activation of the superstition and the result of that activation is where the ominous energy lives. Mm -hmm. There may be times when you can harness and store that ominous energy to be released at a later time as protection for the self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to repel people or things that you don't want in your sphere of influence. How do you do this? You break a mirror. You do not reconstruct it. You store that broken mirror in a shoebox somewhere where you can get to it. Somebody constantly violates your energy. They will not leave you alone. They perhaps are stalking you. You don't feel safe around them. In addition to taking whatever mundane measures you can take, you take a piece of this broken mirror and you wrap it in air clay. Put it somewhere where they will be all the time. You wrap it in the air clay. You can put some symbols in it if you want to. Mostly that's just to keep it from actually hurting anyone because you don't want to cause them physical harm from the mirror. But then you're passing a piece of that ominous energy onto this person to give them a taste of their own medicine. And you can do the same thing with any of these things. Yeah. 
the last podcast, we talked about what you do with a ladder. And I suggested putting a poppet or something representing the person who might need a little ladder magic. <laughs> Pro or con? <laughs> Underneath it to facilitate them learning whatever it is that they need to learn in relation to you or not messing with you. Uh-huh. So hopefully you are inspired to create your own lexicon of superstitions, to examine the superstitions that are in your life, and explore new and interesting ways to use those beliefs to enhance your practice. That's all we have on our topic for today. Thank you so much for listening in, and we hope you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest for more witchy wisdom, both here and on our blog. And you can also check out our original art on Society6 for sacred decor and more. Thanks again for joining us. Go make some magic and live your best life. Bye! Bye!